There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Seb Stafford-Bloor from TIFO Football, and Adrian Clark, the Tactical Analyst. It might just be the most important victory in Manchester City's history. They've won their appeal against a two-year ban from the Champions League. That's been dropped. Their fine for failure to cooperate with the authorities has been reduced from 30 million euros to 10. The outcome represents vindication for their stance and supports their long-term strategy. Pep Guardiola had already said he would honour his contract, which runs until the end of next season. Now he'll have the players to finish his job. For UEFA, the ramifications are huge. Their authority to govern has been compromised. Despite their denials, financial fair play is, to all intents and purposes, dead. We're entering a new elitist era in which, realistically, there'll be no limits on spending. Seb, this is a game changer in all senses of the phrase, isn't it? It is, Mike. Almost to the point where we're into uncharted territory because I don't think between the three of us we could really speculate on what's to happen next. You've mentioned already that the future of financial fair play is now very, very questionable. But also the future of UEFA is uh, now has a question mark against it because in the abstract... It's a situation where UEFA has now tried and failed to bar a club from its own competition. Now, not being able to do that, obviously, the perception is of a very weak organisation. But you wonder, I mean, one of the one of the sort of characteristics of this saga has been the fear of retribution and the kind of the, the ellipsis, the, the what next. Now, in every, you know, regardless of what the outcome was today from Cass, there is a mood in European football to change the nature of continental competition. And you'd imagine that from this point forward, we're going to get some idea of, of, of what that future is going to be, what the next decade of, of European football is going to be like. Because this is not a situation, presumably, where City will just let this lie now, because it's a, all the way through the process, they, they have painted the picture of themselves as victims, of, uh, of, uh, of themselves as an organisation which has been victimised. And you would have thought there'd be some kind of retaliation, not in a literal sense, but in, in, in the kind of the um, the mood. How How is European football going to look as a result of this? It's kind of baffling. I don't quite know how to process it because there's no precedent. And we are at the moment, we're recording this on a Monday, so we're still waiting for the written judgment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still trying to process it, Mike, really. Yeah, okay. We've we've only had a couple of minutes to to actually analyse what was said and what was, what verdict was reached. I I suppose this isn't a surprise in some ways because you know I'll go back to a man that you know well, Arsene Wenger. Now I think it was 2015 where he actually said, "Look, financial fair play will be finished once clubs with far more money than the governing bodies are ready to go and and pursue their case legally." And so I suppose we are in a situation now where the clubs will decide how football is run, what it would look like. And I suppose, you know, the, the first question is, is this the day that we saw the birth or even the conception of, the, of a Super League? 
Oh, uh, quite possibly. I think I think Arsene Wenger w- was clearly right, and you can't see at this elite level FFP having having any kind of future. We've got to decide what what financial fair play rules are for, really, haven't we? And in in this country across the EFL and and to some degree the Premier League, but less so, it's there to it really is there to protect clubs, or it should be. In the UEFA club competitions, with the with the wealth of riches that that City and other you know state owned uh, clubs have, it's to it's a, really to to level the playing field, and and that playing field is 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 now is is now open season, isn't it? Isn't it to, to anybody? So yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. It strengthens FIFA's hand, that's for sure. FIFA, I think, have been making noises for a, for a long, long time about about turning the, the having their own version of the Champions League or the, the, the Club World Cup, but expanding on that maybe into into a f- fully blown takeover. That that might be something they look to do in the future. T- t- a club like City will not forget this. You can look at the rights and wrongs and whether, it, you know, the, the, the financial firepower of them and why this decision was reached. But the bottom line is City have won, they've triumphed and, and they, they may take vengeance and they may try and persuade other clubs to look towards another governing body or even worse still creating their own and 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 that I think is the is the fear long term will there be a brand new competition that is effectively a closed shop for the wealthiest clubs on the planet mm. I think you know Manchester City you know I think we should stress are not the only club to have challenged UEFA successfully you know PSG did AC Milan did Galatasaray did now, there was a time when you know, UEFA didn't lose those sort of cases, so that does point out their, their increasing weakness. When you look at this, Seb, I'm assuming now the door is opened. You know, let's, let's think about Newcastle United as a good example. That's a club that has been on well, for, for, for more months than we care to, to, to think about on the verge of a very significant takeover and one assumes that when that does happen, or if it does happen, you're going to have a, a, an injection of huge money, state-sponsored ambition. You know, there's already talk of you know Maurizio Pochettino coming in. This is now this is the day, perhaps also that a Newcastle, if that takeover does take place, could end up being Champions League contenders themselves simply because of the weight of money and the breadth of the ambition of the new owners. Yeah, it certainly looks like that, Mike. I mean, it's easy to read this as a kind of a a victory for capitalism and uh, free market economics in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Isn't football the ultimate capitalist exercise anyway? Capitalist paradise, absolutely, Mike. I um the one the one thing I say is that there's um there's a little bit of a caveat in the 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 judgment we've seen this morning, which is that kind of some of these some of the charges were unable to be proven, but also some of them were time barred. So the failure here is is multifaceted. Let's not pretend otherwise. But initially, UEFA have failed to prosecute certain infringements within the the, the right time period. So yes, it weakens FFP, but for, for <clears throat> there is still a. Um, there is still a proceed with caution side for sides like Newcastle United. It's not a <clears throat> can't get through a pod, can I? I just can't do it without <laughs> losing my voice. You know, there is that to be aware of. I mean, I, I, I mean, you, you can't dress it up as being anything other than in favour of very, very wealthy clubs. Of course not. But it is not the do what you like invitation that it seems. There is a there is a significant failure on UEFA's part, and I think that's that's one of the conclusions that will be drawn from this, and one of the. Um, one of the aspects of it which probably needs further investigation is why, why given this time-barring situation, did UEFA prosecute this knowing that on appeal to an organisation like CAS that this would happen? It's very, very strange. It's a, it's, a, it's a very opaque decision, which I think in time would probably warrant some justification. So, I mean, FFP is weakened, but you still have to be careful of it. I mean, it's still, from the sounds of UEFA's statement, it's pretty bullish. I mean, it's pretty terse, as you'd expect, but it's pretty bullish about sort of FFP's ability still to prosecute. 
obviously the, the elephant in, in the room with Newcastle is that we're not there yet anyway. We still have to see their 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 takeover ratified. But then it's this isn't two thousand and four. This isn't this isn't Abramovich's Chelsea again yet. Yeah, if you aim for a serious Mike, they, they they have to take greater ownership of of monitoring what what's going on. Let's not forget where the source of of this these allegations came from, and and I do feel that that because it was you know your hacked emails were included here. That, that that may have impacted on 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 the judgment. I think that if you for a serious about retaining it, and I think that they're going to find it very very hard. They have to take a much firmer grip with clubs themselves, rather than you know re- relying on on the evidence of other people to come to them. Mm. What do you think? Um, uh, you know, we have to say you know at this stage, as I say, only you know, a matter of minutes since that verdict was reached that. You know, UEFA do have the option, which it seems the first noises coming out of, of uh, Switzerland are that they won't take this up, but they have the option of going to the a Swiss federal tribunal. But in a football sense, let's try and sort of turn this around to football, which is what we're here to talk okay. about in many ways. Oh, yes, please, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back into the comfort zone. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, from, from City's point of view, had that ban been upheld they would have had obvious pressure on losing you know players like Kevin De Bruyne who's arguably the best player in the Premier League Raheem Sterling 27 goals this season because of that need to play at the highest level now their recruitment will be much easier do you expect City aid to actually loosen the purse strings even more and go out and get the best again. You know, in other words, restructure that entire defence. I think they should. I think if they're serious about about regaining the title from from Liverpool, look, they're, they're playing ever so well at the moment. They're flying, but but the bottom line is that that their defence is is top four. It's not. It's not. It's not good enough really I don't think to to win the Champions League you know I might be proven wrong in a, in August this year but but I'm still quite confident that they don't quite have the, the a rounded enough team to win that trophy no if, they, if they're sensible they won't touch too much of the forward areas if, if anything at all and, and they'll re, remodel the defence which is which has been the ongoing issue it's been neglected no no doubt about it I think that, that Pep Guardiola and the recruitment team have to look at themselves and say, look, how, did, were we complacent there? Did we think that we'd be able to just overpower every single opponent again to, to sweep up the honours? And, and in the cup competitions, they're on their way to doing that, aren't they? The, the domestic cup competitions again. But over the course of the season, they've had too many too many off days without the ball. And uh, yeah, if, if they bring in three high-quality defensive players this summer... Then, then they'll be fine. And, and let's be honest, now is the time to strike. If you are a very, very wealthy club where money really isn't an issue, now is the time to strike because other clubs that thought they were wealthy are now in a different kind of position post-pandemic, aren't they? They're, they're going to have to tighten the belt. So, so that gap is, is going to widen, I'm afraid, in, in the coming weeks and months. Mm. And as, as I mentioned right at the top of the show, Pep Guardiola had already signalled that his determination to fulfil his contract, which runs out at the end of next season. So that does, you know, point up the fact that if he does leave after, you know, his normal four or five year stint, he would want to leave with a bang. So next season, immediately today, got much more competitive, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. And also, even before today, UEFA had indicated that um, the FFP regulations were going to be relaxed, hence Chelsea's huge amount of spending. You know, we had a situation, had the pandemic not occurred, Chelsea would be in the situation now where having written all these checks, they'd be pretty nervous with only four Champions League places available. But now, I don't know quite whether it's a sort of a carte carte blanche situation, but Club of City's resources, as Adrian said, what an opportunity to separate yourself. To close the gap, yes, but also to close the gap in a way where you don't have to be as mindful of the consequences as you might have been. It's a fantastic opportunity, and it's it's interesting because it's an entirely different dynamic to every other club. Because you know the you know the sort of the the civilian sides are you know thinking of swap deals and loans, and you know how can I, how can we trim our wage bills, and you know how how can we kind of construct payment and kind deals with other teams in similar situations who might have different needs. 
for City, it's almost how can we use the disadvantages suffered by everybody else to create possibly an era-defining period for, for our own club? It's a... Um, Okay, it's, it's cynical. I, I understand that. Of course, I, of course, I don't. I, I kind of I hate myself for saying these things out loud. But yeah. uh, at the same yeah. time, that is a it's fascinating in inverted they're, commas. Yeah, they're also scorned, aren't they? I think of there's course. a there's a them and us sort of attitude coming out of of the club, and and it was interesting. I think Pep Guardiola referenced it this week. How every other Premier League club has sort of interfered with the with the appeal process, i.e. They put forward the case for it to be for the verdict to come before the end of this season. Basically, smelling blood. We want to know one way or the other if if, if that fifth place is up for grabs. I think Sheffield United were the only club out of the top ten not to not to lodge some some kind of point there, asking for it to be brought forward. And and for Pep to reference that just makes me think that 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 there will now be even more of them against us in the Premier League, and and they will look to blow everyone else away next season I'm convinced of it and and actually this is just what Pep needed I felt that he was coming towards the end of his tenure before this all this blew up but it but this might just have re-energized him for one yeah one final big time uh, big yeah time. one final yeah. unbelievable season so yeah everyone else better watch out I think next year yeah it was interesting that they were immediately City were immediately installed as favorites for next season's Champions League you know within I think about 30 seconds of the uh, verdict being announced. Um, you know, first things first, what about the prospects of them winning this season's competition? It's a pretty unbalanced draw, isn't it? And they've obviously got to do it the hard way. I don't think they're good enough. I think they've started with, with the ball. I think they've they've restarted the season brilliantly. I think they've looked lethal. I think they're the best team in the country at the moment by an absolute mile. Obviously, the, the asterisk there being Liverpool's sort of, I mean, quite understandable drop in attitude and you know the championships won and their season is kind of over where where I would worry for them is if they were to be put up against you know Bayern Munich's forward line with the defensive issues that they have not just at, at centre half but a left full back in deep midfield I don't think that team can survive against the side of of Bayern's quality I'm still not entirely sure they're getting through the second leg against Real Madrid because I I've been watching quite a lot of Real since the restart and a different side has emerged a obviously we we associate that club with kind of rolling over opponents in the league three four nil they're very conservative they're very tight-fisted without the ball they're not conceding goals they are very nicely set up to go to city and win and if they can go there and turn over that deficit then you know it's uh it, it's hard because we we think of Zinedine Zidane almost as sort of a as a custodian of somebody else's you know collection of talent you know he's not really taken seriously as a tactician but i think if people look over what real have done in soon winning la liga and the style of play they're using and the way in which they're starving their opponents with the ball i would be a little bit worried if i was guardiola because a few of these principles clash with the kind of the tenants that he'll want to force on real in that second leg so let's Game by game, but that their draw is a nightmare, Mike. And it's going to be an examination of all the things that we know need to be strengthened. Yeah, it does seem to be. Uh, I've got a hunch it's actually Atletico Madrid's year, but uh, we shall see. I suppose in domestic terms, Aid, you know, the one thing that we've now got is certainty about qualification for next season's Champions League. And I suppose, in essence, there are two places now out there for probably five clubs. Who do you think will prevail in that? Let's let's take it one by one. Manchester United, they're on a, a roll. And when you think about it, I saw a stat earlier on today. They were 14 points behind Leicester after 24 matches this season. So 11 ma- uh, matches later, 11 rounds of games later, if they win tonight against Southampton there'll be two points clear of them. That tells you how massively fortunes have shifted. Big momentum shift. And it goes to show if you sign the right player at the right time, then it can be, it can transform your your team's fortunes. And and it was that link man, Bruno Fernandes, money very, very well spent by Manchester United on him. They've got three of the best finishers in the division, no question about that at the top end of the pitch, full of pace and, and unpredictability as well. And and yeah, it, it, all that's really lacking has been 
solidity, I guess. And and, he, and even on that score, domestically, they remain, you know, they have one of the best defensive records in, in the league. So, so now they're looking in good shape. I, I think the running always seemed like it would favour them. The game against Southampton is their toughest one, I think. Southampton are very good away side and I think they will pose pose problems. If United can can overcome the Saints then then they'll they'll make it. They'll make it into the top four. I've got no no doubts about it because because their fixtures are are easier in my opinion than than Leicester's and, and Chelsea. So um yeah that what and what a triumph it would be for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who now no one is 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 criticising. I mean we've we've been on various shows throughout the course of this season and and last to some degree, and where where Ollie's credentials were questioned, but he's pr- he's proving a lot of people wrong, isn't he? I I think he's he's grown into the role, and his players, crucially, his young players are growing up as well before our very eyes, and yeah, th- their potential is is being unlocked. It's, I think if I was a Manchester United fan right now, I'd be very excited about about the future and and particularly next season. And, and you know. We're talking here on the 11th anniversary of Carlos Tevez agreeing to sign to sign for City from United. So that tells you the sort of intrinsic rivalry between these two clubs. Seb, do you think City's boost today will actually be another wake-up call for Manchester United and specifically Ed Woodward, and they might actually go out and spend more money? Yeah, I, I hope it's a wake-up of a different kind, Mike, because, yes, United have to go out and spend money. That's a given. But I think also it's a it's a, it's a a nudge to Woodward to remind him that United's processes still need refinement. The team is playing well. I mean, let's, let's be cautious because Manchester United's, a success for Manchester United is not qualifying for the Champions League. It's winning the Premier League and winning the Champions League. So we're, we're still some way off. And I think as much momentum as they currently have, that distance is characterised by how they perform inside the club. They have the wealth, they have the players, they have a, let's call him a decent to good manager at the moment. Um, I'm, not, I'm, still not, I'm still not ready to sign that off. But what separates them from a club like Liverpool is not wealth, it's not the ability to spend money, it's how they spend money and how they recruit. And so a lot of these things still have to happen at Man United. The team and the manager and the players and the midfield, these are positives but they're micro positives that exist within a, a a framework which is still a little bit questionable so I think that's the nudge Mike I think that's the this is what you need to do to succeed in modern football now it's not just right checks because that's been Manchester United's undoing for a really long time now it's a how do we rationalize the decisions we make how do we plot them and I think those are the things that need to change and those are the things that need to change really, really quickly if this if this momentum is to be capitalised on. Yeah, it seems logical that if we say, if we're going to give United maybe one of those four places as well, which in terms of form and momentum, I think is probably justified, that pretty much means that the fourth place will be between Chelsea and Leicester with a, a bit of a sniff for Wolves. Let's look at Chelsea I thought Frank Lampard was quite icy in his anger after that defeat at Sheffield United. And, you know, there's one thing that you know about him as a player and as a dressing room operator as a player. He was, you know, very, very powerful and also ruthless when he needed to be. Do you sense that he will be ruthless in rebuilding this Chelsea team? Because if you look at it, they need to qualify, don't they? They do, yeah. He will be ruthless, no, no doubt about it. He, he is, he's a nice guy. We know that he's very calm, measured, intelligent character, but but he's he's a very determined person and and a winner. And he, he, yeah, I think he will be he will be ruthless. It was telling, wasn't it? He said, "I won't forget what I've learned about some of my players today." And it was it was a dreadful performance against Sheffield United. I'd, I'd like to credit the Blades really for for producing something very very special, but. But Chelsea weren't on it. Their attitudes weren't great, and and when you're a bit soft mentally going into a game like that, then then you will get punished in the Premier League. Doesn't matter how talented you are, and I think that some of the players could find themselves being shown shown the door, and and a bit like you know City, they 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 certainly need to strengthen in defensive position. I think a new goalkeeper. Two or three 
new defenders. And actually, probably now I've changed my tune a bit, but but seeing them without N'Golo Conte there and Jorginho at the sort of base of the midfield, he's not the one. He's not the guy. They're too vulnerable when he is the defensive pivot. They do need somebody else, I think, there to, to act as, as cover for Conte if, if, of course, he doesn't doesn't leave. So no, I think there I think there'll be be more changes afoot. Guys like Christensen and Zuma, I think will go. Yeah, may, may, maybe maybe Jorginho as well. Yeah, what about the goalkeeper, Seb? You know, there's a lot of talk about Anana, the the Ajax keeper. I think that any club in that in Chelsea's position could do far, far, far worse than go for Nick Pope because again at the weekend, you know, Burnley became the first team to to pick up a point at Anfield this season. He was exceptional. Mm. He looks to me to be England's number one at the moment when you've got Jordan Pickford, for instance, you know, almost embarrassing himself yet again. Would you go for Pope or would you uh, look elsewhere? I don't know. I mean, certainly what I like about him is, is how he contrasts positively with Kepa because if you... Uh, Nick Pope reminds me a little bit of Thibaut Courtois in the in the sense that he catches the ball or punches the ball at its highest point. He's a really commanding presence in his penalty box. I mean, he's he's not passive under a high ball from you know corners or set pieces. And I think for me, that's the main problem with Kepa. It's not his distribution with the ball on the floor. It's not his reactions, his reflexes, and his shot stopping. Nick Pope has uh, shown that he's uh, he's got a pretty good uh, set of reflexes himself. But it's that presence. I mean, Kepa. It's actually a shame that we don't have Dave Priest available to us anymore because yeah. Kepa, to me, if you watch him, like when, when a corner's been taken against Chelsea, it's amazing to see him kind of the way he retreats to his line. It's as if he gets a bit smaller as the ball comes into his six-yard box. It's as if he gets smaller and it's as if he almost, he's, he's aware of his own size and his own frame in relation to the players around him, which is a really strange thing to say about a £70 million goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, he looks like an under-15 in the men's team, he does, he? A, he does yeah. a little bit. And I mean, I, I don't know whether we're being led by, you know, he's, he looks young in the face, so that, mm. that influences mm. what we think. Because he's not a small guy. He's not sort of, he's not Fabian Barthez, is he? Yeah, but um, it's about presence, isn't it? Sam? Exactly, Mike. He's almost, exactly. Like, he's almost a reverse Peter Schmeichel. In that yeah, sense, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I'm, you know, with my goalkeeper, I quite like the old sort of the almost the the German muscular form of yeah. goalkeeper, the Oli Kahn type. And Schmeichel was a little bit of that mold too. But Pope is very agile. I mean, I, I thought a couple of the saves he made at Anfield were absolutely brilliant. But more than anything else, he just doesn't seem to make the same kind of mistakes. You know, shots don't seem to come off him with the same regularity. And also, you know what? When, when Adrian was talking about the Sheffield United Chelsea game. I thought that among anything, uh, among everything else, I thought that was a masterclass in a manager being able to spot and exploit weaknesses in another team. So you saw the way in which Sheffield United play balls into the Chelsea box. And that's about Kepa. That is a response to the way he, re- he he reacts to that and how fragile he looks to in those situations. And that's the thing Chelsea have got to cure. Forget the goalkeeper that's able to claw one out of his top corner. You need someone that just dominates his box and you, I mean, I don't think they'll go for Nick Pope because he's just not the right name, is he? It's just it, it's a, it's kind of the the Sean Dyche thing that we had last week, isn't it? That you guys spectacularly fell out over. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> but it's the same principle, isn't it? You want yeah. you know, are, are people going to get excited about Nick Pope? Now that's not the right approach, but that's how modern football works. Fans like transfers, they like names, they like gloss, and. He'd be an excellent signing, but I don't think he would uh, excite the masses in the same way. Yeah, he's the best all-round keeper, I think, that England have available. H- H- Henderson's maybe sometimes the more eye-catching shot-stopper. But for me, yeah, he's he's got the, the all-round makeup, Nick Pope. And yeah, I think I think he probably will will develop into England's number one ahead of the, ahead of the Euros. But but he, he, also being a dominant goalkeeper, you have to be a dominant keeper when you when you play for a team like Burnley that defends that little bit deeper, where you invite crosses to come into the box. He's perfectly suited to them, but that's not to say he couldn't go and play for a, for a bigger club as well. Yeah, so I can't resist this one, Aid. So uh, for your manager of the year, is it uh, Sean Dyche or is it Chris Wilder? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you, are you Sean Dyche's agent? This is, this, is, this is frightening. I mean. He's doing a great job. Let's let's not knock it. 14 wins as Burnley manager in, what, 35 games. He's very impressive. It really is. But but no, I mean, 
Jurgen Klopp is the manager of the year, first and foremost. What about Chris Wilder's um, job? But, but, That's amazing, yeah, isn't it? Wilder's been sensational. He really has. And and it's it's turning up against the big teams as well lately. You know, very solid performance against against Wolves. Strong as well against Spurs, preying on their weaknesses. Chelsea the same. It's a, a really resounding into the season for, for them. And yeah, I think his man management is good. What... what it, what I love about Wilder is everything I sort of dislike about Norwich's approach, which has been a sort of softly, softly, ah, we'll be all right. We'll just play. You know, it doesn't matter if we go down. We'll just play our nice football. With with Wilder, he, even though his players have, have not let him down at all, they've, they've played to high standards, he's pushed and pushed. And even when they've been doing well, he's demanded more of individuals. He's not been afraid to dig out his keeper on occasion or his centre-half or certain other players. He He's pushed and pushed and pushed them, even though just staying up this year would have been successful in most p- people's eyes for Sheffield United. He's, his attitude was, no, we can do better. We, 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 can, we can do even better than what we're doing right now. And I think that's just driven the team on to reach heights. I don't think any of them other than Wilder may be expected that they could, they could reach. It's, it's been, it's been sensational. I love his attitude. Absolutely zero inferiority complex for Chris Wilder. And that transmits to the players. So when the players go out there on the field, they know, or they believe that they are good enough to, to, to take on anyone. Mm, Well, their next game is at Leicester on Thursday. Now, if you look at Sheffield United's fixtures, it's Leicester, then Everton, who basically have got the flip-flops on, and then Southampton to finish. Sheffield United have got a real chance, haven't they, of qualifying for Europe for the first time. Now, and they won't care about you know the Burnley theory, which is it can be a liability for a club with a smaller budget and a, you know, a, a thinner squad. Leicester, at this current moment, they are probably more vulnerable than ever to a team of Sheffield United's intensity and commitment, and let's be clear, intelligence as well. Are they in the process of blowing a Champions League place, Seb? Big time, Mike. Big time. I couldn't believe what I saw at Bournemouth. You know, things happen in football. So, you know, you can see bad goals and, you know, Kasper Schmeichel's miskick let Bournemouth back into the game with a penalty. But I felt like the minutes after that goal, the red card for Soyuncu, the two goals that followed that as well, that that characterised Leicester's state of mind as a team. They just looked so vulnerable, they looked so fragile. And all of a sudden, a team that up until, you know, 24 hours ago just couldn't buy a goal, couldn't score goals, couldn't create chances. All of a sudden, they looked like 1970 Brazil. And I think, yes, credit to Eddie Howe. I feel like this might be a little bit too late. I still think that they will probably go down. But in terms of exposing fragilities and the lack of mental fortitude in that side, I felt that that was very descriptive. And I'd worry about them. And also, they got Sheffield United. They've also got Spurs at White Hart Lane. And you just know Mourinho would love to throw an axe through, through another season, given the opportunity. It's kind of what he does. And you just wonder whether Leicester at this stage of the season with the, the, the blow of the fifth place disappearing this morning, I, I don't see a way back. And also, let, let's be honest, if they fail to, to qualify for the Champions League this season, what kind of mental residue is that going to leave for the next six months? That is a t- that's one of the worst collapses. I know it's not for a title, but it will be one of the worst collapses in Premier League history. And there's the oddity of the situation in the world at the moment. And there are excuses at the end of the day, coming out of lockdown, some teams have responded really, really well and some teams really, really badly. And that's going to stay with you as a player and probably as a, as a coach and a coaching staff, surely. Do What do you feel, Aid, about, you know, we, we talk a lot about momentum in football. When you're in a team which is which has quite self-evidently lost momentum, do you start to you know doubt yourself as a player or is there a sort of collective unease how does that manifest itself well you can do yeah you can start to doubt yourself you start to pin you know deflect blame onto onto teammates that's often what you see when things start to go wrong you see these cracks appearing inside the dressing room and it's also a test of, of the manager will they panic at the first sign of trouble and, and and change things around overly 
or will they stay true to the to the sort of principles that have got you into the good place and initially the attitude wasn't great was it i did i, I think mentally there's 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 certainly a fragility with Leicester at the moment and i you know i'm a, i'm a big brendan rogers fan and and I, and i rate him but i do feel that he has overcomplicated the tactical approach during the 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 post lockdown period he's he, he's fiddled with the team much much more than he did earlier on in the campaign he's he's moved away from the formula that that works so well the 4141 and 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 i just think it's it's unsettled the team at Arsenal, but for Casper Michael in that first half, they they should have been three or four down, and that was because they were playing in the back three, and so Inchu and Evans and and others just couldn't get their bearings. Not not when the football was being played at a faster pace, and um, it, it took them until the second half to regroup. I just feel that 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 he has fiddled with the team too much, and that some of the players have shown. Show mental weakness as well. It's um, it's a shame for them because they were so good for so long. But but yeah, I, th- I think I think fifth is probably the best that, that Leicester will get now. Okay, what about down at the bottom, Seb? Bournemouth have got Nathan Ake missing for the final games against uh, Manchester City, Southampton, and Everton. Aston Villa. Now they've got Everton as well. Funny enough, in the running, they've got Arsenal next, and then West Ham on the final day. I'll be honest, I wasn't desperately impressed by them against Crystal Palace were you no not at all I thought um they were so incredibly fortunate not to be a goal down to that yeah, that, was ridiculous. that is I mean I know we we mentioned Stockley Park a bit too much but come on I mean just just grow up just just grow up with this handball law's got to go it's just um it's almost to the point where it's a, an integrity issue for the sport but Mike I I, I on a more general point with Villa I, I feel like I remember watching their game against May United a couple of days ago and thinking the failure in their recruitment is they don't even really have a puncher's chance against the bigger sides because they're so weak going forward. I know they scored twice against Palace, but it's too late in the day. I can't see they don't they haven't really possessed the the sort of the, the breadth of abilities at the top of the pitch to to be a problem. And also defensively, I don't understand them because they've conceded. I think I don't know. I haven't checked the, the sort of goal difference as of yesterday, but conceded more goals than any other team in the division going into this weekend. And player for player, that shouldn't be the case with those defenders. It's almost as if there's some kind of tactical oddity at work. And I also noted that they kind of they don't press high up the pitch either. They collapse behind the ball. It's it's been a really odd season. And I I I don't know. I mean, I I, I can't see. I've got Adrian's got, got that quizzical look on his face. Good, you wanted to jump in about that pressing point, didn't you? Go on. No, no, it wasn't about the pressing point, actually. No, it wasn't. No, I agree with you. I agree with what okay. you're saying. I just, I forgot that you could see me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be more aware of that. His face was lighting up. He was just bursting to say oh, something. So I was like, okay, well, go on then. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I, I, think, I think part of it has been the goalkeeping issue. I, I genuinely yeah, sure, do. I think... Sure. I think with a dominant keeper, you maybe push you push out your 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 back four up a little bit, clear the box for you to to go and dominate. But that hasn't really happened. They've been very weak defending crosses all, all season. They've conceded so many goals from balls put in into the area. And when you've got Mings in there, you know a big big fellow who prides himself on on you know lion heart performances, then that's that's a surprise. And and set pieces they've been truly dreadful. Obviously they got away with one against Crystal Palace but but yeah in, in general they they are awful when it comes to wide free kicks and corners in some ways they've been a little bit unlucky because I mean I think Tom Heaton would have made a difference in the season losing McGinn was a huge problem I mean he's a hugely influential player in that midfield but I I don't know I mean I, I have to look at the recruiting done over the summer they were in a difficult spot because they got promoted with quite a transient set of players you know loans players who weren't built for the Premier League they lost I think 26 goals when Tammy Abraham went back to Chelsea, that's very difficult to replace as a newly promoted team. At the same time, I think some of their their approach has been a little bit counterintuitive at times. And I also, do you, you know, at the beginning of the season when you need goals, do you take a twenty-two million pound punt on a player from Belgium? Well, I don't know, them. man. I mean, Wesley and Samata were both punts, weren't they? Let, I mean, let, I, let's I, get I, that right. I'm I'm not sure whether I've seen enough of Samata to know whether he's a good player or not. But Wesley, I, that is, I mean, that's a you're going to have to take a very big loss on that transfer, most likely, unless there's some kind of clever clause written into his contract. Because 
that's not the guy. I mean, I, I think if I'm in that situation, I take a gamble on on a on a Glenn Murray. You know, someone that I know is going to score goals in that league and who knows who isn't going to have an adjustment period, which is potentially going to cost me two or three months worth of results. It's it's, yeah. uh, it's hard one to get my head around that. I w- I, yeah, I wouldn't have gone for a Glenn Murray. It's just on, purely on the pace factor. But but yeah, maybe a <laughs> Neil Mopé. Well, no, maybe Neil Mopé. I mean, Brighton yeah, signed sure. Mopé. And he, yeah. he's I think he's into double figures. Got that pace, got the movement, scored some big goals. He would have been a safer safer choice, wouldn't he? Been then? managed but, by Dean Smith before as well, you know. Yeah, so. exactly. So, yeah, it's... um. They definitely made made a mistake because Tammy Ab- without Tammy Abraham last season, Villa wouldn't have been promoted in in the first place. So they had to get someone of equal quality, in my view, and they didn't. What about you know, the 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 two clubs who are probably uh, who had probably thought they had inched away from it are now potentially being dragged back in? They play West Ham and Watford. They play on Friday, play each other on Friday, both on 34 points. So they've got a cushion of three points. West Ham, basically, they profited from an absolutely, you know, let's be honest, pathetic Norwich performance at the weekend. Watford gutted it out. Two penalties, great shows of nerve by Troy Deeney. If this is the big showdown on, on Friday night, uh, do you expect uh, Watford to beat West Ham or the vice versa? Mm. Oh, so hard. Um, winner stays up. I think that that much is clear. Antonio is one of the hottest players form-wise, isn't he, in the division? So so he has the potential to, to deliver again, I guess, for a rejuvenated West Ham. But but, but can you trust the Hammers' defence? Really? I don't know. I'm not I'm not completely sure that they're, they're a good match-up for Watford. I think that Watford right now, with, with the power that they've got in wide areas particularly with Saar and Welbeck coming into form. I think that, that Fredericks is, is not playing well at, at right back. I think left back is a big issue for West Ham. It has been for a while. Don't I think Creswell's there at the moment. Not, not a great deal of, of pace there. I think Watford have the tools to, to actually dismantle West Ham if they bring their A game here. Again, I look at Decore up against one of the... One of the I suppose it would be De- Declan Rice. That would be a decisive match up in the middle of the park. I just, yeah, I just think I would, I lean towards Watford here actually, as well as West Ham did against, against Norwich. This will be a, a different game altogether, but, but look, West Ham have talent, we know, and that, and that might, that should get them over the line in terms of survival. But for this particular game, yeah, I've just got, I've just got a leaning towards the Hornets. Okay. I'll allow you, um, Winners bragging rights now, Seb. North London derby. We 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 have to mention it, uh, even though it was a you know a mid-table scuffle. Well, we're not contractually obliged to, are we? Forty-five <laughs> minutes into the pod, <laughs> North London derby. Forty-five minutes. I've been sat here waiting for this. Okay, uh, our friend Jose Mourinho. He says or said that it will take four years to get Tottenham right. Yet he also says that had he been in charge from the start, Tottenham would be in a Champions League place. How do, you, how do you square that circle? Yeah, I can't. I can't. Oh, Jose. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, first of all, like, I mean, if it's going to take four years to uh, to get Tottenham right, I mean, <laughs> no, who, who, who's coming in to do that then after year three? I mean, uh, it's um, I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, I think that that um that beginning of the season comment's been a bit misinterpreted because it's kind of been used as a um a little bit of a dig at Pochettino. I don't. I don't think that's quite right. I think what what Mourinho was suggesting was that. It, if his methods had been in place since the beginning of the season, they'd be a little bit further along. And actually, statistically, the points that he's collected in relation to other managers and other teams around him has been pretty impressive. That being said, <laughs> I it's funny because I I, I you know obviously um, the derby is the derby. It's winning and nothing else. There's no there's no other currency in a derby game other than that. At the same time, the cold light of day, I felt a little bit uncomfortable with the way Spurs played. They've got this wealth of attacking talent and um, they sat back and waited for Arsenal to punch themselves out and then make the mistakes that that defence was inevitably going to make. That's fine. I don't feel like... I know that Jose Mourinho can do that. I know he can set up a team to do those things. I don't feel like I learnt anything about it yes, about him yesterday or about what this Tottenham team can be because it wasn't a million miles away from the um, the strategy he employed against Manchester City or the one against Liverpool. Except, you know, Liverpool didn't make any mistakes, so it didn't work quite as well. But I 
I don't know. It's lovely to win a derby. It's lovely to condemn Arsenal probably to a, a season without European football. Wonderful, wonderful things. But at the same time, I felt like yesterday was more about Arsenal than it was about Tottenham. It's more about where Arsenal are within their growth growth stage. I'm still yet to get a proper indication of where Tottenham are going under Mourinho. I don't know if that's fair or if I'm um, working on prior biases, but um, that's that's what I'm left with this morning anyway. Yeah, well, I suppose, Aid, what that game did is basically confirm what everyone knew, the weaknesses of that defence at Arsenal. Yeah, of course. Look, look, Mikel Arteta, I think he's doing a good job, but but he needs better players, needs better defensive players. The back three, Mustafi, David Luiz and Kalasanac, I mean, all three have been vilified at various points this season and 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 together as one, they, they all enjoyed an off day, unfortunately. It's, it's, a, it's it, a Russian it, it, roulette defence, isn't it? You don't know yeah, which one's going to shoot you. And, 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 and it's, it's a strange <laughs> one because, because it, it's actually timely for Arsenal because they had been better, funnily enough, against Wolves, against Leicester, against, against some decent opposition... Sheffield United, they, they'd been solid. And, may, and and people were even saying, well, should Arsenal extend Mustafi's contract, etc., etc.? And and what this has, has done, I think, is just a reminder to Arteta, to everyone at the club, that he, he needs much better defensive players. It's individual errors that, that kill Arsenal over and over again. Uh, the goals were gifts. I mean, the first goal was, was just diabolical. Kalasnach gets the ball. He has a straight pass into a Bamiyang that he can play. He has a pass to his left that he can play to Tierney. Not a single Spurs player trying to make a block or anything. Yet he decides to go backwards and he plays it to the wrong side of David Luiz. It, it was un- it was unreal, really. And 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 obviously the marking from the corner was poor in terms of the matchup with Tierney and and Alderweire. But 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 for Emi Martinez, Spurs could could easily have, have racked up quite a few goals there. It was. Um, yeah, for, for as much as Arsenal controlled controlled the game, they um, they were so vulnerable when it, from from counters, weren't they? It was frightening. I don't know if Adrian will, will agree with this, but I, I think what struck me is the naivety of Arsenal. I mean, the defense the defense is the defense. We know what those players are. We know they're going to make mistakes. I think what surprised me is Tottenham's ability to create chances. Having watched mm. what I did against Bournemouth, their ability to transition up the field which was really their only route of attack. And Arteta knew that that was what he was going to face. Surprised me that Arsenal didn't do a better job of locking them in their own half. The exits were too easy. The they're sort of the, the vulnerabilities to players like Son, who's very gifted, but someone like Mora, who is very one-dimensional. He is a head-down, run-with-the-ball player, and he had a lot of joy. He also had a lot of passing angles available to him. He had a lot of opportunities beyond the last match. It was overconfidence, I think, at times. Do you reckon? Yeah, Yeah, I think they almost had a front five with the wing-backs both pushed on at the same time. And with Xhaka and Ceballos, good on the ball. And I thought they played pretty well in possession. But but in terms of legs, when you lose the ball, they just haven't got... They just haven't got that physicality. So when Spurs went... When they turned the ball over and went direct, they basically were at the heart of the back three, just like that. And when you've got Son and Kane and Mora running yeah. a, a defence that, that, that that's a little bit slow and, and ragged, then it's a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, it, it was a wake-up call, I think, for everyone there that there's still a lot of work to be done. Also, we, we, we talked about this before the pod started, but I think there's uh, Arteta's coaching staff has got to kind of eat the second goal because Tierney cannot be marking Alderweireld. I don't care what system you're employing, whether it's a zonal or a man-to-man or a hybrid of both. You cannot end up with your fullback marking a centre half of that stature. It's like it's like a, a child trying to mark a, a man. It's it's not like so. Whether that's a, a player's responsibility, whether it's a lack of direction within the kind of the um, the a, a failure of the communication within the defence or a coaching strategy gone wrong, I don't know. But that shouldn't be the goal that costs you a derby. If you get undone by Son or if Kane you know knocks one in from twenty yards, fine. That is that's that's uh, that's an unacceptable way to to lose that game. Um, and if that had happened down the other end, I'd be livid because it's just uh, that's just that's it's almost like a it's a mental laziness, isn't it? It's uh, very very hard to to rationalise. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> okay then. Okay, we won't then. We won't. Uh, you know, I I looked at that game and this was on a weekend where we'd lost a legendary defender, Jack Charlton. And, you know, some of the tributes to him have been fulsome and they've been very, very emotionally driven and, you know, very warm. 
Now, Jack never took himself too seriously. He never forgot where he came from. And I know he wouldn't have cared about such niceties, but the fact that he was never knighted is a result of institutional injustice. Now, in addition to Ralph Ramsey, only two of the World Cup winning team, Bobby Charlton and Jeff Hurst, received the ultimate honour. Now, we've seen over the weekend in the reaction to Jack Charlton's death, the impact the boys of 66 made on the national consciousness. In Jack's case, he was a hero in two countries, England and the Republic of Ireland. Now, they'd have to change the rules to hand out posthumous awards, but perhaps they should. We started on this pod essentially talking about money. But actually, it's a game of flesh and blood. It's a game of men. It's a game of heroes. And Jack Charlton was a hero. So thanks to you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.